Good morning, virtual and personal, <laughs> or here. Uh, it's been a kind of amazing journey. It's been both exhilarating and exhausting. How many would you say amen to that? And for me, it's been that, and I know for our team, but I want to begin, I want to share a little bit of kind of what's been going on, because there are people wondering what's going on, what are we doing? But I want to, the first thing I want to do is I want to shout out our leadership. Because we have an amazing leadership team, not just staff. I'm talking about people that are, are really involved in moving us forward with the wisdom of God. So can we just give a shout out to our team? They, they've been fantastic. Um, and I, I will also say that just yesterday, there was something that happened here that's been seven years in the making. I want to tell you what that is. These two, two lights right here are now in the center. Okay? Now, when you come back, you can look at them. They're right in the center. <laughs> I've been waiting for that for seven years. <laughs> so, anyway, let me, let me just share a little bit from my heart to you, and I've shared some of these things, but this has been going on, these things I want to share a little bit with you, just to give you a little bit of, a, of the heartbeat that God's given to us and continues to build on. When it first started out, when this thing first came along, I don't know if you remember that, um, it feels like it's been like 50 years ago. But in the beginning, they were talking about us reopening in, uh, on Easter. And then it got moved, and then it got moved, and then it got moved. And I would get frustrated with that. I'd think, okay, and then I felt the Lord speak to my heart and tell me, he's going to be, he's, he's, he's allowed it, but what he wants to do is a work that's permanent, not temporary. And so what we're going through, I believe, for us as believers, I look at it as that. God's doing some things in our lives that requires a little longer work, <laughs> And for me, for sure, this has been exhilarating in that I wouldn't trade it for anything, what's been going on. It's been a, just a, a rich time in my faith with the Lord, but it's also been exhausting. And just so you know, right from the get-go, we, our leadership team, our board, uh, some of those who are, are on, on the staff, we have been having lots of meetings because we want to get the heartbeat of God in this. So there were three things I felt the Lord gave me to begin with, three what I call pillars. The first one is prayer. We are going to pray this thing through. And the reason for prayer is we're seeking to know the mind and heart of God. And let me say this. What the devil wants to do is divide and conquer. That's what he wants to do. He wants to come in in the midst of all this stuff, and he's doing it in our nation, but he wants to do it in his church. And so we need to endeavor to keep the unity, the spirit, and the bond of peace. So I will tell you that for me personally, my greatest refuge, what I appreciate so much more now than ever, are prayer meetings. And we have our Zoom prayer meetings on Saturday morning. We had one last Saturday night. We have prayer meetings that we... That we and you know, the interesting thing is, when this whole thing began, I'm thinking, how do you do a prayer meeting on Zoom? I want to tell you, we might just continue doing it on Zoom. Because a lot of people can come, and we're bowing our hearts, we're praying. And so, it's been fantastic. But I will say to you... The first thing we need to continue to endeavor to do is to pray. And we've been doing that. We have a praying church. I'm so thankful for that. Secondly is patience. These are three Ps, just in case they ever have to do a sermon on it. <laughs> is patience. In other words, God has timing on all of these things. So when I think of patience, I think of counsel. We need to have counsel. We need to be together. We need to talk these things through. We've had a couple of very difficult conversations among our staff people. Not divisive, but difficult. Because of the way that things are coming, we're, we're, 
you know, we, we're just receiving and we're trying to work through them as best we can in the things that we're, we're dealing with. And so that, that runs a gamut of, of uh, a need we have to be patient because God has timing. And he's wanting to work those things out. And we want to be wise. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, there's three times it says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Let me give you just bullets on that. Number one, people find safety in counseling. Secondly, plans are established in counseling. Without counseling, they go awry. But you get counsel, you, and we want to get counsel, which means we're going to listen to a lot of voices. We're going to have, and we've had a lot. In fact, I've been able to be in on meetings with, with the senior advisor to, to Governor Inslee. I've been with lawyers. We've been talking these things through because there's just so many things about it. And I want to say to you, we as a church have been, I would say, exhaustingly seeking out lots of meetings. So we're not sitting you know, waiting for to go. We are seeking to see what God wants us to do here, and he has a timing on it. And so this, this, this gathering right here is, a, is from that whole, we're just saying, Lord, what would you have us do? When would you have us do this? Because there's a lot of ways that we could do this, and the Lord led us to do this today. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here, but I also know we aren't over yet. So we need patience. We need to wait on the Lord. The third thing is it's personal. It's personal. In other words, we are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be proclaiming the gospel. So as these things are going on, we have to stay centered that my personal, the great commission is not a great suggestion. So what God wants to do here is move us in our boldness, in our courage, in our focus, that what the world needs is the gospel. In fact, I'll tell you, the first three, when I had these first came to mind, it was prayer, patience, and apolitical. So I'm not trying to make a political statement. But you even say the word political now, and all of a sudden, eh. <laughs> and I realize, you know, it's personal. We are ambassadors for a kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. I'm, if I don't watch out here, I'm going to have a whole sermon here for 40 minutes. <laughs> and I want to I just, and oh, and so the other proverb, first of all, people find safety, plans are established. But then listen, this is great. Problems find strategies. Who goes to war without counsel? Problems find strategies. I love it. And I'll tell you, not necessarily directly as a sermon, but we have been seeing these things happening as we're praying, as we're patient, as we realize we need to know the mind of God, the heart of God. So I'm kind of exhorting you, but I'm also sharing my heart with you. It has been exhausting, but it's been exhilarating. And many of, many of you know what I'm talking about. In fact, we all do to some degree. So I think for today, I'll just leave it there. I'll bring this back. But can you just continue in looking to the Lord with me? We need God more than ever. And I'll come back to the endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The devil has come in, and we see it all over our streets. We see it in everything's going on. He wants to divide and conquer. He's, he's getting it to be the emotional back and forth of riots and all kinds of things. And we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we also have those kinds of feelings, do we not? There are things that rise up. And what we need to say, Lord, you got to help me. you got to help us to keep the dialogue open. Difficult ones don't need to be divisive ones. And we're able to talk with one another and share with one another and pray for one another. And I tell you, I, like, I wouldn't trade it for anything because of what God's doing. And I know you've been challenged and we've been challenged. So I would begin with that first pillar. We need to continue to look to God in prayer. To wait on God in patience. 
and to realize we have a personal responsibility as ambassadors for the kingdom of God to take the gospel into the world. And that has become so much more prominent in my mind and I believe in yours also. What is the solution to what's going on here? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm preaching. I don't even know. How, okay, I think I'm on time still. <laughs> anyway, and by the way, these, these series um, with, uh, on uncertainty have been so timely. They've been really timely. In fact, last week we talked about the, the Jacob faith to face your fears. Three things that fit right along with this. If you give me the next, two, the next row there. Uh, back to that other slide. Yeah. So the other thing that came up, I'll talk about feelings, facts, and friends. I heard that about a month ago in an in a interview. This black, this black pastor was sharing, this is what. So he says, you need feeling. You got you to get the feelings, get the facts, and get friends. And it fits perfectly. Prayer, my feelings need to go to God in prayer. Patience, I need to be operating on the facts. What's really going on here? And that is very difficult. I don't know. It's very difficult to really know what do I believe. You, and you, I'm sure you all, what are the facts? And then third, personal, we need friends. It's friends where this thing really begins to take and make an impact. Not just feelings and facts. Where are the friends? Where are those people that we're with? But the final one from last week's study, it's a spiritual battle. Can you say Amen. It is a spiritual battle. Jacob was in God's camp last week. The camp of Jacob was in the camp of God, Mahanium. And the angels there. We are in a spiritual battle. Secondly, we're seeking solutions. Now, Jacob was out, okay, how do I do this? He sends the, you know, the first row, and then he sends the second. And what he's trying to do is he is mentally and emotionally work out, figure out, what do we do? How do I do this? We need to do that. We need to be seeking solutions. Third, surrender to God. Surrender to God, our lives, continuously. God, I am yours. Now, let me ask you a question. I, I think I'm going to ask it rhetorically. Has this not challenged how much you really trust God? Has it not challenged you to say, okay, I want to go and do something, but I better... I better be thinking, what does the Lord want me doing? Because I'll tell you, emotions run high. God has a solution. He has things he wants us to do. I'm not saying what he calls us to do as Calvary Chapel South is what he's calling Calvary Chapel Mount Si or any of those other. But God has a solution for us. He has a plan for us. He wants to use us. I'm excited about that. But it's been challenging, extremely challenging. And so we need to continue to surrender to God. What would you have me to do? So here's, here's my saying, okay? Jesus is coming, Zoom. <laughs> Listen, Jesus is coming, Zoom, <laughs> soon. Can you hear an amen? So let's keep our eyes on him. Let's stay prayed up. Let's stay patient. Let's keep it and take it personally. God, what would you have me to do? Now, I don't know. I better wait. Okay, we'll go. Let's go to Genesis. Would you stand and at home uh, with your Bibles? We're in Genesis chapter 33. We're going to talk about the grace of God this morning. How many of you love to hear about the grace of God? It's interesting. Grace and truth are together quite a bit. You can't know truth without knowing the grace of God. And you can't know the grace of God without knowing the truth. 
right? So Genesis chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them. Notice that, important. He crossed over before his family and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children, and he said, this is Esau, who are these with you, Jacob, my brother? So he said, the children whom God knows has graciously given your servant. Verse 6, then the maidservants came near, and they, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Look at verse 11. Please, again, Jacob to Esau, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt, there it is again, graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he took, so he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, let us take our journey, let us go, and I will go before you. Lord, we ask your blessing on the word, things I prepared, that you break them fresh, feed us, Lord, we are hungry. And I pray, Lord, you'd stir our hunger after you, our thirst after you, that we might be pursuing you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. I pray you'd renew us even today in the word. I pray you'd renew us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit in the things that matter, and you would help us, Lord to walk this thing out prayerfully, patiently. And then, Lord, as you would speak to us, I hope and pray today from your word personally that you have a plan, you have a purpose, you will never leave us or forsake us as believers. You're working to bring those who don't know you to saving faith in your son whom you sent to die on a cross for their sin. Lord, we're making these things our prayers. I ask, Lord, again, that we would be those ambassadors that are going out into this, this fallen world and bringing the message of another kingdom, another city that we wait for. That, Lord, our lives would be wrapped up in, the, in, the, in what, will, what changed our lives and can change others. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We bow before you. We surrender our hearts afresh to you this, today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Matt Chandler said this. Without a heart... Transformed by the grace of Christ, we just continue to manage external and internal darkness. Pastor Matt Chandler. He's from the Village Church. My son's on staff there, actually, in Texas. And so that is so true. Until the grace of God begins to take hold in our lives, we're just managing things without knowing what we need from God in order to be strong in the, in the grace of God where he can change us. And Paul Back, Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace of God, and the things you've learned from me, give these to other men. They may appoint others also. There's this need for the grace of God if we're going to hand anything down. Grace to grace with our God. And so, John, it says this about Jesus. The Word became flesh, capital W. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, capital H, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus came. He be, God became a human being to bring truth and grace. And of his fullness we have all received, and here it is again, grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus 
Christ. So Acts 23, Paul's leaving the Ephesian elders, he thinks, for his last time. And what he says to them is this, so now, brethren, I commend you to what? The word to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified or set apart for God. So three things I'm going to quickly hit this morning in this, in this chapter. Number one, God's grace stops my running. Can you say amen? Stops my running, which is what happened to Jacob. Secondly, God's grace says I have enough. You know, when is enough enough? It's going to be an interesting little nuance in that as we look at it. And third, God's grace sets the pace for my journey. God's grace sets the pace for my journey. So number one, God's grace stops my running. So we see here, Jacob and Esau are going to meet. Now at this point, as we know from our last study, Jacob is a broken man. He's been crippled by the, the messenger, by really the Lord who he's wrestling with. Remember that from last week. So here comes Jacob limping along, but he's no longer running. He can't run, actually physically, but nor does he feel he has to because he knows what God has just done in his life. He broke, he's a broken man. There's no way and there's nowhere to run for him anymore. I don't know if you've ever been stopped on your journey where you realize, you know, i got to stop running. And where we need to do is run into the arms of Jesus, into the grace of God. So Jacob is not only a broken man, he's a bowed down man. Think of that song. We bow down and we worship you, Lord. He's coming out of being crippled by God. He's bowing down before Esau, but that's only what's happened in his heart. So he crossed over before them, his family, bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came to his brother. Now we're going to see that Esau wasn't waiting for Jacob to get to him. He ran. But here comes Jacob. He's bowed down. He's a physical mess. It's a bad hair day for Jacob. <laughs> He's been up all night. He's bowed down, but a spiritual miracle has happened. He is going now to as Israel, governed by God. He's going now into a very scary little, you're not sure what's going to happen. He's bowed down a changed man. I love this picture here, he, which is why I said note. He is leading, I love it. He is now leading his family as a man governed by God. He's leading his family as a man governed by God. Next week is Father's Day, and I want to I bring a, a short message. Three things I did not know I learned from my dad. Dads, lead our families as one governed by God. He's bowed down. He comes to his brother, and I look at this as very courageous. As God said many times, be strong and very courageous. He's going to meet Esau, but he's trusting God. He's surrendered to God now. He doesn't know if his 400 men are coming. Are they going to kill Is he going to kill me? What's happening in Esau's mind and heart? He doesn't really know that. He's trying to appease him with all those things. But now here he is. He's going. He's courageous. He's limping. Yes, he can't run, but neither does he want to run. And there's a certain courage, the fountain of which is a surrendering of our lives to God. 
matter what's going to happen, we know God will take care of us. This challenge of the coronavirus, these challenges we're seeing in our, in our, in our own country are forcing upon us, am I surrendered and trusting God no matter what happens? It gets me emotional because that is where there is freedom. That's where courage kicks in. It's not that there isn't fear, but courage can face fears. Now, notice this. Not only is he a broken man and a bowed down man, but he's an embraced brother. It's incredible. Notice, Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Now, you can just imagine if you were Jacob. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. But they wept together. Wow. We aren't told what God did in Esau's heart. Never told that. But something amazing happened in the heart of Esau. And you've seen it and I've seen it sometimes. You go, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. God entered into the picture. God was working. Was it Esau that one night when he's 400 men? Or was it been 20 years in the making? I don't know. We're not told. But something happened. And that just sort of elevates that God is not just working on one side. He's working on all sides. So Esau ran to meet him. Now, here's the thing. He's running to meet Jacob as a physical mess. He's not waiting for Jacob to get to him. He's embraced him, and that is also a spiritual miracle. He's embracing the brother that 20 years ago he would have killed. Something happened. He fell, falls on his neck and kisses him. He's a changed man. And they wept. And I think that is a joyful release of years of ought. Now, that's ought not only mad, but ought also of how I would do it different now, could I? And a lot of us have those, oh, I should have, I ought to have. We can't change those things, but God can change us. And so God's grace stops my running. They wept, this joy, surrendered, this is interesting, they're surrendered safe in each other's arms, not just God's arm, but in each other's arms. And I'm sure they spent a lot of time just catching up there, the other side of that jaybuck. So notice, Esau ran, embraced, kissed, and wept. And then I go back 20 years when Jacob first arrived, he sees Rachel and he meets Laban. Do you know Laban did the same exact thing? It says in Genesis chapter 29, Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him into his house. So he told Laban all these things. So here's this beginning of this whole process. And Laban, he does the same thing. He comes to him, runs to him, embraces him, and kisses him. Now, the, the thing about this is that those things proved to mean nothing. It was just the beginning, and proved to be Laban was, a, was, not a, he was a rascal, okay? And then I, I thought, as I often do, 
about the prodigal son. It is one of my life passages because I was a prodigal. Some of you were a prodigal. And the prodigal son wastes his inheritance in riotous living. Says, Dad, give me the inheritance. And his dad did that. And he went out and he wasted it all in riotous living. And then he's in a pig pen. And he comes to his sense and says, you know, i got to get back with my dad. This isn't fun. This isn't what I thought would happen. And so he said, I'm going to go back to my dad. He said, I'm not worthy to even be called your son. Make me a servant. And this is what happened. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, so his dad's looking for him. That's what dads do. That's what moms do. That's what grandpas do. That's what grandmas do. We were looking and waiting and hoping and praying. And this dad was no different. What did he do? He saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. That's what God does. That's what grace does. Grace, the grace of God breaks you to bless you. The grace of God bows you down to lift you up. The grace of God runs to you, embraces you, and, and, and assures you everything is going to be okay by the grace of God. Look at verse 5. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, and they bowed down. Leah came near with her children, and they bowed down. Joseph and Rachel came, and they bowed down. There's this beautiful, beautiful reconciling right there. And, and Jacob didn't know if that was what was going to happen. But it happened. God did it. It's beautiful. The grace of God stopped me from running several years ago. That's what God's. And the grace, somebody put it as this. As you know, I love acronyms. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. The cross of Jesus Christ was God's expense that we, by, by which we are reconciled, by which he runs to us, meets us, embraces us, kisses, and welcomes into his family reconciles us to himself through the cross. And so I read in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, through what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died much more, notice, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one, the one man, capital M, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Would you say amen? That's the grace of God. The grace that stops our running, and we find God running to us. Huh, I love it. Ephesians chapter 2, many of you are aware of this. But God who is rich in mercy. Now, he's just said you were dead in trespasses and sins, and what you once walked according to course this world and all that stuff. And then verse 4, he says, but God, great two words, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together. With Christ, by grace, you've been saved. Now, in August, we're going to do a six-week study chapter a week in the book of Ephesians. 
We're going to talk about the grace of God. Three weeks before preceding that, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so needed right now, both. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the grace of God. Now, notice what he says. And raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his, of his grace, what in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself it is what? The, nice and loud, the gift of God. You give him one penny, it's no longer a gift. It's a free gift. But not at no expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So the grace of God is Jesus saying to you, come to me. Jesus saying to you, come to me, all you labor in heaven, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn to be, for I am meek and lonely heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How many of you need rest today for your souls? Come to Jesus. Jesus, come to me that you may have life. He says, come to me that you may never hunger. Come to me that you may never thirst. Come to me and you will by no means be cast out. Come to me and I'll raise you up. Why? The grace of God. It's the grace of God. And the grace of God stopped right now. Now these last two, I'm gonna, it's going to be a little, not a lot, but I want, I want to share these two things with you because they so minister to me. Number one, the grace of God says, I have enough. And you got to love it in this story because what we read here, as it says, Esau said, what do you mean by all this? What are you doing? What's going on? And Jacob says, I just wanted, I want you to find favor in your sight. He's very honest. Hey, I was sending because I didn't know what you were going to do to me. And then notice what Esau said, I have enough, which means I have much. Then we go on. So I have enough. Or I have much, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present, receive my gift from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your faith. So Jacob's going, I, this, is, this, is the, this is the riches. I've seen your face as though I've seen the face of God. And you were pleased with me. The last thing, he didn't know what was going to happen. But notice, please take my blessings brought to you because God has dealt very graciously and, I, and because I have enough. What that means is I have, uh, have everything. I have much or I have everything. I want to ask you a question. When is enough enough? Do you have much and you're still wanting to add or do you have everything and need to add nothing? In fact, you become generous. See, that's the outflow of the grace of God to say, it can say, I can say, I have enough. In fact, Paul the apostle, as he was working through his things, came to a place where he realized God said to him, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. Proverbs says this, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Ecclesiastes put it this way, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his soul is not satisfied. How many of you have found that over and over again? Gain all the riches of this world, but you, it does nothing for your soul, nor can it pay the price for your soul. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Now, I want to challenge that all the time. But that's not smart, because <laughs> Jesus said that. Augustine put it this way. 
Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. <laughs> See, let's put it this way. If we find ourselves with desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. How many of you would say amen? This world is not our home, nor can this world satisfy the hunger we have in a relationship with God. God's grace says, I have enough. And Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I, might depart, that I might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most glad, I will rejoice, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions. I'm saying, wait a second. <laughs> really? Yeah. I take pleasure in infirmities. How many can say Amen. In reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. There's the key. It's because of Jesus in my life. That I can actually begin to look at these things that seem so bad, so wrong, and realize, no, because I'm in Christ, these things become God's means by which he can use and change my life to such, to such a degree that people don't even recognize me. They see Christ. Something. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Nothing like being weak in the grace of God. Nothing like being weak in the sufficiency. See, God's grace sets the pace for my journey. Notice verse, chapter 33, verse 12. Esau saw, said, let us take our journey. Let us go together, and I will go before you. But Jacob said, my Lord knows that the children are weak, the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Verse 14, please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on notice slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. So he must say, let me leave some of my folks with you. But he said, Jacob, what need is there? I have enough. I have my family. Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, made booths for his livestock, and therefore the name of the place is called Succoth, which means booths or it can mean shelters. So he's settling, and really they went in opposite directions. What's going on here? God's grace set the pace for his journey. What happened to Jacob? I love it. Jacob, Jacob's pace now. Now, let me say this. Jacob was a type A driven guy. He's going to get it done whether you're coming or not. That's the kind of guy he was. So the pace would now take into consideration other people, beginning with his family. His pace would now take, be, be aware of the vulnerable. Now, I ask myself the question, is my pace in such a way that I'm conscious and aware of the vulnerable? The weak? The young? Or am I driving on with my own plans? He's taking into account the, the, the character nature of his family. 
His pace would not be to drive them anymore, but to lead them by loving them. His pace would not be more than the least was able to endure. It speaks to my heart has over what we're going through right now. What's the pace of my journey? Can I slow down to realize what God's heart is, is for the vulnerable, for the weak, for those who need to be brought along and led, not driven? Now, with someone, for someone with such a driven personality, listen, this is a God work, not a Jacob work. This is what God does. And whatever that length might be needed to slow us down, God's working that we set a pace that includes all the vulnerable, all the weak. I'm considering my family. God's not said, you need to be like that family. No, no. God, what would you have me to do? What about my family? What about leading my family? How am I going? Am I driven? Do I have any time for my children? I'm saying to you, guilty. And God's saying, These things that have come into your life over the last five years, ten years, over the last three months, are that you'll know my grace and set the pace in such a way that you are now mindful of the responsibility you have to the people that God's put in your life. That's what Jacob came to realize. Now, was he lying to Esau? Well, I'll go, because they, they went opposite directions. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Esau wanted to lead some of his family, and Jacob said, no, no, you just, you go. I need to be taking care of my family. I need to be leading them in such a way that they're not going to, they can endure it. And all those things he's taking into account. Now, the other thing that's interesting, as I read in 2 Corinthians, is his pace now is being set by his infirmities. He can't go like he was physically. But neither can he mentally, emotionally, or spiritually because God broke him and he realized, okay, God, I'm in your hands. Whatever's going to happen, I'm not going anywhere. Help me, Lord. Lead me, Lord. Help me to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So Jacob came safe to the city of Shechem, and it ends. He comes there. He pitches his tent. Children of Hamor, Shechem's father, he erected an altar, and he called it El Elohe. Israel, which means the mighty God is the God of Israel. He's now saying he's my God. The mighty God is my God. And he sees the mighty God much differently than he used to because he realized in his weakness, God is, in in his weakness, God's strength is perfected like Paul did. He's realizing that the strength, the mighty God is my God. In all my infirmities, all my weakness, all the things that need to still yet take place in my life. You know, and I I don't have an answer as far as you know, should he have gone with Esau and would he have avoided what we read in chapter 34? We'll get our next study. Horrible thing happened to his daughter, Dinah. Now, had he gone to Bethel where he first met God and said, hey, if you'll bring me back here, God brought him back to Canaan, not Bethel. So some would say, well, was that wrong? I have no idea. My opinion doesn't matter. But I will say this. God's not done with Jacob yet. And he's not done with me yet. And he's not done with you yet. And so God's grace stops my running. It says I have enough, and it sets the pace for my journey. I say, God, would you help me to learn about your grace and walk according to it? Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. And you at home there, would you bow your heads with me, and let's just pray. Lord, we are thankful for the grace of God by which we've been saved, the grace of God by which we're being sanctified, the grace of God by which we look forward to that day when we will be with you glorified. 
And all we can do is bow our heads, bow our hearts, and ask, Lord, that you would work in us to will and to do what pleases you. You give us, Lord, that prayerful attitude, patient attitude. Lord, did you take our lives and shape them and mold them so that we're salt as you would have us to be seasoning the lives and the culture in which we live, that we're light that's, uh, that's revealing truth, that's being seen in what we're doing and how we're operating, and particularly, Lord, at times like this. Lord, be gracious to us. Lift your eyes, up, your countenance upon us and give us peace. Lord, I pray that your name would be exalted through our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. We say together, amen.